Has communism really come to America? During the Cold War, much was written about Marxism in the United States by Americans who had been members of the Communist Party USA and by clergy within the Catholic Church. These writers documented that Marxism is always on the offensive and is flexible in its propaganda and its directives. Because it is always on the offensive, it looks to leverage stalemates. Korea is a clear example from the past for that. For later attacks, its flexibility is reflected in the ever-changing nature of the language it uses. However, set patterns of behavior make the deceptions detectable. One pattern that's been repeatedly used has been agitating for, quote, social reform, unquote. Strap in, because we've got an expert to explain the situation in America this week on the Rob Mana Show. Hey friends, you need to check out Mammoth Nation, America's conservative discount club. They're on a mission to get Trump reelected and keep liberal Democrats, AKA socialists and communists out of office. These guys really mean it, folks. I wouldn't say that if it wasn't true. Go to mammothnation.com. It's only $19 a year, and here's what you get. Great discounts on all sorts of products and services. You're automatically entered in the Mammoth Election Day sweepstakes. There's some great prizes, including a 65-inch Samsung TV. And you're going to love this. I sure do. I'm a lifetime member, and... If you become a lifetime member today, you get a free Trump flag and some other cool items. Once again, that's mammothnation.com. Let's go. Join us now so we can win in November. The American system was built on the values laid down in the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In 1762, while it was still a British colony, James Otis of Massachusetts emphasized the hypocrisy of slavery in a nation built on liberty and freedom. Forbidden by the king to abolish slavery, Thomas Jefferson took up the issue in his original version of the Declaration. However, Two of the 13 self-proclaimed states refused to join in the rebellion if slavery were abolished. The issue was dropped because the strength of the rebellion relied upon unanimous consent. This true social reform took the Civil War and constitutional amendments to resolve. My guest today writes in his five-part series, The Nature of Communism at RobManus.com, that we need to understand two terms in order to follow what's happening with communism and Marxism in America, and they are progressivism and socialism. The start of progressivism in the United States is typically dated to around 1890, but this view hones in on a set of issues without defining what progressivism in the U.S. really is. What is labeled the progressive era was a reaction to what we've seen as a set of injustices, labor abuses, and lack of women's suffrage. When viewed this way, it should be apparent that organic U.S. progressivism is a desire to correct injustice. Since the cornerstone of a republic is justice, this desire should strengthen our republic, not weaken it. From this perspective, Progressivism can be seen in the earliest days of this republic. The trick is that it needs to be a real injustice, not one that is contrived. From the beginning, Lenin's Aesopian language used progressive to strictly mean, quote, advancing socialism, unquote. However, socialism itself can describe many different economic and political systems. There are just a whole bunch of qualifiers that can be used that renders the general term difficult to pin down. Socialism in the United States actually predates Marx. Unlike atheistic Marxism, it was based on religious communities like the Shakers or the Amana colonies. This brand of socialism was more about pooling resources than anything approaching a dialectic process. 
Socialism to a Marxist is the period of time between the collapse of capitalism and the emergence of what Marxists call Bolshevik man. The difficult part is to understand the intended meaning behind the use of these terms. As Hayek writes, the original socialists, like those in the U.S., were horrified by the violence wrought by the national socialists leading up to World War II. Louis F. Boudin's concludes in his book, The Techniques of Communism, by claiming that a belief in God is the best antidote for communism. This actually pinpoints a key to the decoder ring, according to our guest. That is, look at how the speaker or writer respects the Bill of Rights. If the thrust of the message is to restrict your speech, your right to assemble, the right to worship, and the right to defense, the speaker or writer is a Marxist. Suppressing individual rights is a goal of Marxism. It's not a goal of either progressivism or socialism, but it can be a byproduct. Another telltale sign is whether the scale of any social reform being agitated is equitable to the agitation being made. There's always room for enlightened discussion to improve the cohesion of society. We call that civil discourse. Violence and force will disrupt cohesion and are hallmarks of Marxism. My guest today is author of The Road to Americanism, Dennis Hall, a professor, computer scientist, and Air Force veteran who has studied communism and served in the Cold War to defeat the Russian version of it. My friend Dennis Haw, author, uh, he calls himself, and he is a jack of all trades. I think he's been a guitarist in a rock band. I know he's a computer scientist and has worked on uh, projects like Mars Rovers, uh, uh, programming uh, those systems, and, and is also a studier of and, uh, uh, and a person that understands our republic and not only how it was built, but how it has survived over the century and a half nearly that it's has existed. And he's also studied opposing views. And he's written five articles for RobManus.com titled The Nature of Communism. I encourage you to go to RobManus.com uh, and check those out. Uh, and that'll give you a lot more detailed information. But uh, uh, Dennis, welcome back to The Rob Manus Show. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's always great to talk with you. Well, it's great to see you. Uh, we're uh, we're having a hurricane week again this week down here in southeast Louisiana, but uh, all the systems are go today. So let's dive right in on on this. You know, your your series that you wrote, the nature of communism, was fascinating to me. Uh, partly because I experienced the Cold War as a young airman and an officer, and and you were an Air Force officer too. So. So you fought right. the Cold War against Soviet Marxism and communism, and, and we defeated it. Uh, but also because of what's happening in our society today, as, as I observe it, uh, I'm very, very concerned about what appears to be uh, an attempt to foment a Marxist-type revolution uh, amongst some loosely organized groups uh, that are pretty well-funded and active across the United States. I think there have been about 520 or so documented violent riots associated with the Black Lives Matter or anti-fascist Antifa uh, groups uh, across America since the end of May when they first started. So, so let's dive right into this. And, and what are you know what is actually happening from your perspective and your expertise with communism and Marxism on the ground in this situation here in the United States of America? Okay, well, Rob, let me start by saying uh, one of my um, foundational backgrounds, not just uh, being a, a mathematician and a computer scientist, but when I was in the Air Force, I was actually uh, an interrogator for the Siri program. And uh, back in the Cold War, Siri spelled S-E-R-E, -E, and nowadays I hear people pronounce it Sear, but we pronounce it Siri. And uh, in those days, it stood for survival, escape, resistance, and evasion. And uh, what happened is the E's are the emphasis. So it was escape and evasion. And that had to do first with our experiences in the Korean War uh, 
and I'll talk about that a little bit more later. And then the um, evasion part was secondary. And what they did is once the war wound up in the Middle East, we discovered that we needed to switch the ease. Uh, and the reason for that is that a Muslim uh, terrorist was going to cut your head off. So you just didn't want to get caught. Um, so anyway, but as such, I was schooled in um, the Cold War uh, communism, as you say. But the thing is, I need to back us up where you said we defeated uh, Soviet communism. That's what we thought. But the reality is we didn't. Um, all that happened is we brought the Russian state down and the dictatorship of the proletariat moved to Beijing from Moscow. And you can really see this clearly as a continuum if you look at the 2020 DOD report to, commun uh, to Congress uh, on uh, the Chinese threat. It's right out of the Marxist playbook. You, you nailed that point, uh, exactly what I've been thinking uh, and uh, what I've read in your articles, Dennis, is that the Chinese Communist Party has, has subsumed and assumed that mantle uh, and is in an active, complete and total unrestricted warfare situation, not just against the United States, but against the West. Uh, yes. So. What are you seeing uh, on the ground? You mentioned in your articles about how these patterns that the Marxists and communists use when they're trying to foment revolution and violence and, uh, and those kind of things are detectable. Uh, well, how are they detectable? And, and I know that there's been agitation for social reform. We can see that. That's part of what we're seeing with BLM and the Antifa situation where they take a very minuscule piece of data uh, young black men unarmed being killed by police, which is such a small number, you can't measure it uh, here in the United States of America today. Uh, and they, they explode that and are able to get the population to support them and to get the monetary support to support them. So beyond that, are you seeing any other patterns? Because you, you mentioned in your article that you, they can be detected. What are they if you're seeing any of those? Well, it's a really complicated situation because we don't have just Marxists that are on the march here. Um, what we have, you know, I hate to use the term useful idiots, but um, if you look at it, we have American progressivism that has kind of blended with socialism and, and it's actually, well, it, I'm, I'm working on a third book, and I'll explain this in more detail. Uh, but what's going on the ground right now is BLM is clearly a Marxist organization. And uh, one way you could tell that is they come right out and tell you that. And so what that means is you can go straight to the, my two parts on a Sapian language. And if you're paying attention, one of the things that uh, BLM has on their website is they say that they want to disrupt the Western paternal family. Okay, that is classic Asapian. Uh, we did a live um, uh, meeting at a coffee shop a while back, and uh, we had some left-of-center people there. We, you know, where it was all cordial and everything. We weren't at each other's throats. But then uh, it came up about this, this particular item. And I said, well, they want to destroy the uh, uh, Western family. And they got all huffy about it. And the, the reality is, is the word disrupt. That's a classic double meaning. Okay. And to the, to the actual Marxists that are in on BLM, they know that means destroy. Okay, and somebody like me who sees that, I automatically know they mean destroy. But then the problem is you get well-meaning people that don't understand it because it says disrupt, not destroy. They take it literally. Uh, there's a thing called motivated reasoning that kind of enables that. Uh, and so it's an ugly situation where we have people that don't know that they're supporting a Marxist organization. 
Well, that's one piece. Yeah, I've been pointing people to the BLM website uh, and to the uh, Antifa handbook that uh, mm -hmm. famously Minnesota Attorney General uh, Keith Ellison uh, has a picture of holding up when he was uh, and he supports uh, Antifa, which is really is a domestic terror organization. I believe. Well, that brings up that. another point, Rob. Uh, you mentioned Keith Ellison, and uh, he and my friend Zudi Jasser have been at odds for a long time. Uh, and Zudi's the white hat guy, okay? Mm -hmm. um, Keith Ellison, there's what Zudi calls the red-green axis that's uh, come about. And what he's referring to is you can look at Bernie Sanders and the squad. It, it's clear that they're aligned. Um, uh, to, to add on to the Sapien thing, though, another way to di differentiate it other than they just tell you um, is, as I point out in the article, look at what their motivation is. If they're respecting inalienable rights like the Bill of Rights, then you may be dealing with somebody who's not a Marxist. But if they're actually angling to take away your rights, you are talking about a Marxist. Okay, and, and so by that reasoning, if you look at it, Beto O'Rourke is a Marxist. Yeah, he's uh, the presidential candidate on the Democrat yeah. primary side that famously said, yes, I'm going to take away your AR-15s. Isn't yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and it's pretty clear to those of us that have been, you know, opposing communism and Marxism uh, for such a long time uh, that... Uh, that, that really all aspects of this, I call it an insurrection, quite frankly. Uh, well, it is. Want to, want to dis not don't just take away your rights, but, uh, but destroy your rights forever by destroying the history of the United States of America and replacing it with this, this, uh, 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 this political science, uh, 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 what, you know, it's a set of writings uh, called the 1619 Project uh, that completely denies and tries to destroy that the United States was founded on those values of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, and says that, no, it really was 400 years ago, and, and it's all been created to preserve slavery, which is complete baloney. Uh, and uh, every major historian that's written on the subject, I think there's five or six of them, have spoken out uh, on it that are that are willing to, uh, and have written tons of articles on this. Uh, so, and that is one of the things that you see is that is that folks that you know push that kind of doctrine, like 1619 Project, insist that you acknowledge its truth, and they mm -hmm. insist that you not be able to say something like. All lives matter. That's what I say. I served in the military for 33 plus years, risked yeah. my life, had people die uh, under my command uh, and risked other Americans' lives with my decision making uh, and everything. And we didn't serve because of somebody's skin color. Uh, all lives matter, including baby lives that are in the womb. Uh, every human life matters to us. Uh, and, you know, but they don't want you to be able to say that. They don't want you to be able to uh, be out in public peacefully if you have a certain skin color, according to what we've seen uh, going around in some of the major cities with uh, folks in restaurants being uh, not just disrupted, but accosted, uh, theft of their food. Uh, one guy even drank a, a person's beer after he ran him off out of the restaurant. So your right to peacefully assemble, uh, they don't want you to have that. They don't want you to be able to freely speak uh, about your opposition to their violence. Uh, it, it certainly is, looks a lot like Marxism to me. Your thoughts? It, it is. It's a really complicated um, set of organizations right now that are causing all the trouble. I mean, certainly we have the pure Marxist strain. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting because I mentioned the red-green axis. There's, I'm, I'm wanting to suggest that it actually needs to be red-green square because there are actually two greens. There's the Islamic green, but then there's the greenies, the Green New Deal. Because if you look at the organizations, and I don't know my, how many there are. I mean, everybody talks about BLM and Antifa. 
And occasionally you hear about the Sunrise Movement, okay? Uh, and then there's a lot of local groups, especially in Seattle area. Uh, but uh, if you look at the Sunrise Group, that's a greenie organization. And what they're doing, you have 20-something mothers that are actually taking their kids and putting them in the front line for shields. And yeah. uh, they, 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 this is actually recorded on Zoom. And uh, what you've got there is, um, oh, and, and Michael Schellenberger, thank goodness that he's come out and written uh, Apocalypse Never, because these people have scared the hell out of people, especially kids. And uh, these people are convinced. And so now you've got the, the communists who are convinced, um, you know, the, the, the Marxist theory is true. You have uh, Muslims who just want to kill Christianity and take over the country for their faith. And those two will eventually fight each other. But then you got this third group, which are concerned that the, the world's going to incinerate in 10 years, which is just plain nuts. Uh, and uh, I had actually written a chapter for The Road to Americanism uh, that I ended up pulling out because it, I felt it didn't fit, but it's going to be in this new book. And what I did is I gathered all the information I could find uh, about um, climate change and assembled that and put it, put it together. And in doing that, I realized, heck, the only evidence they have for their arguments about the world incinerating are due to computer modeling. Well, I did computer modeling for a living for five years at Digital Equipment Corporation. And uh, we podcasted Randy Larson, who uh, wrote Our Own Worst Enemy, New York, best mm -hmm. New York Times bestseller in 2007. Um, he's like a recognized expert in bioterrorism. Uh, anyway, in talking with him, he asked me to write an article that was posted subsequently out on his page. I don't remember. Did you pick up that article on computer modeling and put it posted on your site? I don't think I have yet, but I'll certainly do that. Okay, I'll dig it out for you. Uh, he asked me to write a 12 to 1300 word article that, as he put it, would explain computer modeling to somebody who didn't do math in public. Uh, which I thought was a really great request because I think that's very called for. Uh, yeah. And the truth of the fact is that any time that you use computer modeling for, there's interpolation and there's extrapolation. And extrapolation is basically forecasting. And so like right now, you are living the problem with extrapolation and computer modeling. That hurricane's sitting there. Now, did they project that? Yeah, that's a good question. That's okay, a good question. that's, no, that's the problem. That. <laughs> you see, what happens if you look at it, uh, you, you have a slope going on. It's about on this trajectory. And the model will, will assume it's going to go that way. Well, you might, might wind up with the slope taken off like this or like this, and it could happen immediately. It could do that yeah. an, an infinite number of times over the space that you're looking. Uh, and another thing, as far as this climate change stuff goes, um, the um, I worked on a project, project called Gozar when I worked for Lockheed Martin. Uh, and what that, uh, what the GOES satellite family does is they yeah. actually are satellites that are sniffing the atmosphere. More of the upper atmosphere, not the toposphere, which is where we live. Uh, and... Um, well, there's a whole lot to be said on this. Uh, I mean, the Russians actually have the best mathematical models, in particular on the sun. Uh, and the, the nut theory of, of this whole thing really centers around uh, a simple equation, which really becomes complicated. And they talk about tuning called radiative forcing. And it's as simple as, well, you get more heat coming in than escapes from the atmosphere. And that's based upon the CO2 uh, uh, greenhouse gas theory, which nobody's ever proven that CO2 leads to heating. Uh, it was con a conjecture from 1876, 
and people are running with it and embracing it, but it hasn't been proven that heat doesn't precede CO2 from the yeah, record. Didn't the lefties, uh, Dennis, Dennis, didn't the lefties change their terminology to climate change from global warming because these models uh, that were supposedly highly accurate were debunked in so many different ways? I mean, they weren't totalized, but they... But, but the projections they were making were debunked quite a bit, weren't they? Uh, well, if, if let's let's look at COVID. Okay, Neil Ferguson's mm. projection. I mean, that was clearly a a a case of bad software engineering uh, yeah. to begin with. Uh, but even good software engineering can't accurately project uh, the epidemiology that's going to take place. Um, yeah. Right, and epidemiology is a lot simpler than projecting what's going to happen in the atmosphere. Sure is. I've never so changed not the saying, plan based on a weather forecast. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I'd like to say, yeah, the climate will change. It's called weather, you know, which people yeah. get riled up about. But all climate is, is is basically considering a wider snapshot of what weather is, and on a more global scale, if you will. Um, but uh, the the thing is, I'm not saying that there isn't anything to be concerned about. But what I am yeah. saying is to absolutely throw away your life <laughs> on account of some mythical thing. It's called catastrophizing. And yeah. uh, it's a uh, it's something that all of us have innately where we want to think the absolute worst thing is going to happen. Uh, well, you know, you know an church. idea. You know, an idea is bad when you have to use totalitarianism like Marxism and communism to try to force yep. your green, your green environment and Green New Deal on uh, a population like they're trying to force uh, their Green New Deal onto the American people, don't you? Uh, I mean, that's yeah. that's yeah. that's the ultimate test of an idea, whether it's good or bad, right? Right. And, and I guess what I'm saying is that we've got, uh, you know, three forms of totalitarianism that are, are now kind of working together. And unfortunately, our institutions are funding it. So that's what's perpetuating it. If we want to stop the cycle, we need to get our institutions to cut the money off now. Yeah, like the president uh, recently terminated all critical race theory-based indoctrination training for every government agency, and I have I have I have uh, documentation even showing it's being used in the United States Air Force uh, after the uh, riots started this year, uh, which is unfortunate. And I'm glad the president took that step because that's one of the things that's being funded, and critical race theory needs to be thoroughly debunked for the Marxist propaganda. Uh, an attack on civil rights that it really is. Uh, what are the other, uh, you know, what are the other patterns that, you know, the greenies, uh, you know, the, a lot of the wildfires that have come up in the last few weeks out west, especially the Pacific Northwest, they've, I think they've arrested nine or 10 people now for setting, yeah. uh, setting these fires. Two of them have been confirmed by themselves to be members of Antifa and BLM protesters. Uh, uh, and uh, the mainstream media is trying to say that that's not happening, just like Antifa is a myth, according to the leftist uh, uh, folks like Jerry Nadler in Congress. Uh, but we all know better. So what are the other yeah. things we're seeing? Uh, the fire settings, one of those things, I think. Uh, what are the other uh, patterns that we're seeing emerge from this group? Uh, well, uh, of course, the, the planning is a lot more thorough than we would think it is. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't know if these individual groups are capable of doing that coordinated of planning. I don't believe they are. Uh, so that tells me there's an umbrella group uh, that is actually guiding this whole thing. And you know the old statement, uh, follow the money. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's clear that the Ford Foundation and George Soros are the two biggest contributors to BLM. Uh, that doesn't extrapolate to uh, funding Antifa, BLM, Sunrise, um, even the local groups. I think there are two in, 
in uh, Portland that are associated with BLM, but they are separate. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'm not an investigator, and I'm not. I don't have boots in the ground, so I don't know the answer. But that is clearly something that we need to get to the bottom of. <clears throat> Excuse me a sec. Well, yeah, we're uh, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I'm seeing from independent journalists that are on the ground uh, is that uh, they're using these crowdfunding sites, uh, they being Antifa and BLM and their supporters, uh, to, to bring in large sums of money. Uh, it looks like they're laundering it to me. Uh, it certainly smells like it. I, I, I hope the federal government Department of Justice is going to take a look at these activities through the RICO Act, because uh, mm -hmm. we're seeing the numbers, uh, we're seeing the funding come in, uh, but, you know, we need investigative and, and subpoena and warrant power uh, in order to really dig into that, and the only folks that can do that is the federal and state departments of justice. So uh, hopefully that is happening as part of the investigations of these. But how about the Chinese Communist Party, Dennis? I mean. I've seen indicators yeah. that lead me to believe that the Chinese Communist Party uh, is not only infiltrated into the United States, especially through the academia system where professors have yep. been arrested and charged uh, with hiding funding from the Chinese Communist Party, where the Confucius Institutes, which are now banned, uh, uh, but uh, were uh, on college campuses and even high school uh, campuses from what we've seen, and all of those are propaganda arms of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, is there any, any indication that you've seen that funding is coming through? I suspect it is, but I haven't seen the facts on it yet uh, from a detailed perspective. I can't personally find the traces. Uh, I don't know who can, but I tried to find the money trail to the media. Um, you know, it's clear that the owners of the media have ties, but you can't find out the... Uh, uh, the trail on that. Um, it, it, it's a very interesting question because quite honestly, the Chinese are more capable than any of concocting what I see here as a master plan. And, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not trying to say, you know, this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is just, I see a master plan here that looks pretty mil militaristic to me, doesn't it to you? It certainly does, uh, and uh, I know that the People's Liberation Army uh, is embedded in every Chinese company. Uh, yep. The reason the president wants to ban TikTok is because TikTok takes millions of Americans' data and gives it to the PLA uh, and yep. other companies uh, that are Chinese companies. Uh, and I was pleased to see that the United States is starting to uh, to put pressure on the stock exchange folks and those kind of things to make these Chinese companies have to have to follow U.S. Uh, reporting laws, which they don't currently have to do because our politicians have given them a break in the hopes that they would be westernized, which what's really happened is we've created a, uh, an extremely powerful, economically powerful communist Chinese party and state uh, in China that's uh, becoming a peer competitor very rapidly, aren't they? I got to interject something here. My, my favorite line in all of rock and roll comes from an old Rolling Stones song called 19th Nervous Breakdown. And it, it fundamentally just says, instead of rearranging your mind, you were disarranging mine. And that's exactly what's happened with our relationship with China. And I need to interject one other thing. You hear a lot about stop uh, stealing our intellectual property. Well, what's wrong with that statement, and I know initially the, the Trump found, uh, administration thought they were going to be able to get China to agree with that. Mm -hmm. China will never agree to that. They can't. Their whole system is based upon denying that, that personal property is valid. That's right. So, and if you look at the way the statements were, it looks like, okay, the people on the Chinese side were willing to go along with the wording as long as the word didn't get out to the Chinese people. The minute it looked like that word was going to get out to the Chinese people, it got shut down in a hurry. Yeah. So, 
And now that should not make us believe that they had any intention of respecting our intellectual property. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, and I say that from working with the Chinese for over a year and, and having been over there. And it took me a year to understand I needed to leave the company I was working for because they're communists and they don't believe yeah. in personal property. That's right. They don't believe in private property uh, at all. And uh, so, so we have all these things happening. We suspect there are some, some centralized planning going on. We don't know yet who exactly who that, who or what collective of entities that is. Uh, but we see the results of it, which leads us back to that. And it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just you know, you and I are just two old military guys that do analysis right. and stuff like that. I, uh, I will say but, this: I don't think it comes from George Soros. No, um, I don't think it. I think the funding, a lot of the funding does, and I'm not yes. sure what yeah. of that funding is not coming from the Chinese Communist Party. I suspect there's quite large amounts of funding coming somewhere from the Chinese Communist Party, which is our money being funneled back at us to attack us uh, and destroy the United States as we know it anyway. So That's so, exactly right. So, but these kinds of revolutions have been nipped in the bud before uh, in, in world history, haven't they? And, and what are your thoughts on what the ordinary American can do to try to stem this tide and prevent the complete takeover? Well, you know, the private American, I don't know. You see, the conundrum we got is the fuel is coming from uh, the corporations. And an individual American is dependent, who's dependent upon their livelihood with those corporations is kind of stuck. There's not much they can do because uh, they're stuck with a top-down uh, dictate. And those corporations are actually acting like communist states right now. Uh, they've got all these speech codes. Uh, and, uh, you know, you get fired if you say anything against BLM. Uh, or, mm -hmm. or some of this other stuff. Um, I mean, they basically are enforcing the uh, repeal of the Bill of Rights. Um, and I guess one thing you could do is quit the corporation you're working for and start your own company. Um, I'd like to see more of that. Uh, yeah. The problem is that there isn't a whole lot of protection for a small company, in particular like in my field in the computer business. Um, one thing I always liked the fact that we didn't unionize, uh, but the problem is we didn't unionize. And so that's why most computer jobs went offshore and they still are offshore. Um, I, I don't know how I get an income to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you get one. Uh, well, I guess one of the things that we could do though is write, you know, we could encourage folks to, Call our congressman and and lay out your concerns and ask them to take some action. I mean, they, you know, Congress has uh, in large part been, bears some responsibility uh, on uh, on being lenient on the Chinese corporations uh, and those kinds of things. So we could call on those folks and also also call on those folks to really take a hard look at these. Uh, these big, especially the big tech corporations, uh, which, as you mentioned, are using speech codes which violate people's civil rights. And that gets me to the executive branch. Uh, the Department of Justice has a civil rights division. Uh, our government at the federal level and the state level governments need to get beyond uh, the definition of civil rights only being about uh, uh, the right to vote by people of color or black Americans or African Americans, whatever you want to call that that community, uh, and, and really have an enforcement from a, the perspective of individual civil rights. Uh, because if I can't say certain things without fear of losing my job, that's a violation really of my civil rights in this country. And it shouldn't be allowed to continue uh, when we have a federal government that's paid to make sure that folks are following the law and the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, the last time I checked, are the law. Well, no, there's a difference between civil right and inalienable rights. And uh, the Constitution only guarantees that the national government isn't going to get in the way of our inalienable rights. And by extrapolation, 
uh, of the supremacy clause, the state governments won't all the way down to uh, even your HOA can't take away your your um, inalienable rights, you know, the Bill of Rights. On the other hand, uh, the government can't force an institution uh, in theory. Now, because of what we've been through in our history, we've uh, put in place the Civil Rights Act uh, of 1964 as well as other years. And as I talk about political vertigo, I consider them improper laws is what I call them. Yeah. And I, I don't. And the reason is they exceed their constitutional authority. Uh, and I think that's okay as long as you sunset it. Uh, but we, what we've done is we haven't sunsetted those. As a matter of fact, we've tightened the screws and we've instituted a quota system that is actually antithetical to liberty. So if you want to look at things from a constitutional perspective, that's where this all stands. And so I would say that when it comes to these institutions, the government really shouldn't. Now, I'm not saying that it can't and that it would be wrong uh, in the larger picture of things, but the government really should be careful on what it dictates institutions to do. Um, That's, I true. Think That's true, but, but what I'm saying is, is that, mm -hmm. to use a leftist term that I've heard a lot in the last few weeks, is uh, civil rights needs to be reimagined uh, uh, and go beyond... <laughs> And go beyond just what the Civil Rights Act uh, uh, defined, uh, because as you're, you're right, that act really is extra constitutional, yeah. uh, and it's and it, yeah. it, it it enables the government to uh, actually infringe on your inalienable rights. Uh, quite honestly, in my opinion, so we need it's to reimagine. Yeah, we need to reimagine civil rights, but there's got to be, you know, the government's function is to protect liberty. And if I'm not at liberty yes. to be able to say what I think, uh, you know, you know, without compromising safety, like, you know, the shouting the word fire in a crowded theater, those kinds of things. But, but to just simply be able to say, look, I don't think the BLM thing is right. It's not based on facts, you know, mm -hmm. that are, that are strong enough to, 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 to uh, go with this crowd that wants to destroy the country and everything. Uh, and I should be able to say that without fear of uh, losing my job or fear that somebody's going to attack me physically or attack my family or burn my house down uh, and those kinds of things. And my rights are being violated, uh, uh, quite mm -hmm. frankly, by these entities that are not government. Uh, so well, we've got to reimagine... You know we've got to reimagine protecting people's liberty and one of government's primary functions, isn't it? To protect liberty in America. Well, but on that, you know, there, uh, disturbance of the peace, disturbing police laws on the books mm -hmm. that can be enforced. Uh, and I think, and clearly you're not seeing those being enforced in Portland, Seattle, LA, a lot of these cities. Well, um, the police aren't even showing up if you call them. Well, you know, it's not the police's fault, right? It's um, it, well, it's, it's the lack of resources government. or their government elected officials are stopping them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, those that's a case where people just don't realize how disconnected their government is from their best uh, um, interests, and they're not holding them to account. Um, yeah. You know, and a in a perfect world, I would say, well, they want to live that way. That's their business. Uh, but clearly it's being done with political motives behind it. Um, but I, I don't know what the answer is, Rob, but I would just say we, um, we should first try to figure out how we encourage institutions to do the right thing. And the problem, the core problem is the sea level executives and all these uh, um, corporations fancy themselves as citizens of the world. You know, to cut to the chase, they're not patriots like you and I are. They have a whole different twisted view of the world. Um, and to be honest with you, that, glo that global view is very much in tune with Marxism. 
Yeah, and uh, I think because... a large portion of the American population under the age of 35 uh, is uh, caught up into that idea as citizens yep. of the world and not citizens yep. of the United States of America. Yeah. And I think you're seeing that playing out playing out in yeah. our politics uh, with this current presidential election and congressional elections that are coming up. Uh, the country has a choice. Are we a country? And do we keep our strength? And, and the good in the world that the United States has been the only country to be able to do? Or do we go down this path that the, the uh, perpetrators of violence and Marxism and socialism are trying to drag the American people down and a lot of people are willing to go with them? All right. And, and the problem is that we've got people that lack a, a full understanding of the monster they're creating. So you've got like most of these C-level executives, and I've worked with them elbow to elbow. They're greed heads, just like what they're accusing you know Wall Street of. They're all greed heads, and the main greed factor that they've been in in the tech world anyway for the last twenty uh, something years has uh, been uh, send it offshore for cheap labor, and uh, in particular. The one thing they keep looking at is the almost 2 billion people in China, and they go, wow, what a market. Um, yeah. But the stupid thing is they, they don't realize there's no wealth there. There's no wealth there because it's a communist state, and communist yeah. states don't create wealth. They destroy it. Yeah. And the only wealth that's in China is the wealth that we've exported. So, like, when I go home to my... Uh, um, area in Ohio, uh, which, by the way, is Jim Jordan's district, um, I see hollowed out towns that used to thrive when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I, I've been to Shanghai. And what I see is the wealth that's been exported from those places actually put into China. And these, these fools, really, believe that they're going to get all this money coming back at them. And the reality is that the Chinese CCP, through their institutions that they control, they do funnel the money back because that's their game. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, are the Chinese people prospering uh, from what's going on? Well, to a degree. Um, they are a lot better off than they were under Mao. And yeah. If you look at the 2020 uh, DOD report, uh, it, they even explicitly say that uh, Xi Jinping's uh, regime is very mindful that they don't want to repeat the haste of the Mao era and that they want to go slowly. Yeah. So it, it's all a shell game. And um, uh, a lot of this gets hidden uh, behind devaluation and flat out it's the devaluation of the dollar and the peg game that the Chinese play. Yeah. Well, you know, it sounds like from an ordinary American's perspective, the best thing we can do is go vote and make sure we vote all the way down the ballot. Uh, because folks, you know, as Dennis and I have been discussing the place where folks, Politicians are making decisions that you're not going to get police support and they're not going to enforce laws that we have on the books to protect our civil rights is at the local level and the state level. And you need to vote accordingly. Isn't that right, Dennis? I'd agree with that. Yeah. I mean, we're so focused on the national level and, uh, that's actually another Marxist thing, because what they're doing is they're encouraging centralization. Mm. And so our focus is centralized. Um, one of the most frustrating things for me is I try to figure out which judges that I want to vote for or against in the local area. Mm. Yeah. Um, good luck with that. It's hard. And, uh, it is. You can't go by the blue book the bar puts out. That's the most corrupt organization there is. Um, for my research, the only judges that I want to vote for are the ones that they say, don't vote for these people. And the reason is they're not singing out of the, the, the uh, progressive handbook. They're actually wanting to do real law. Yeah, and there are attorneys that 
that become judges and prosecutors and defense lawyers that actually don't buy into the leftism uh, that uh, that a large portion of their of that population <laughs> tends to do. Uh, that you can vote for, and they tend to be uh, community oriented and leadership oriented. So they are out there. You just have to find them, uh, and, and then go vote for them. And especially at the county yeah. council level, show up at your council meetings. Uh, the the mayors will be there at city council meetings. Uh, so they're all there, uh, and they're the folks that are making these decisions, like defund the police, which is another Marxist goal from Black Lives Matter, uh, and. Uh, you can stop them. It's all within our power to stop this if we do our duty and go vote and hold our elected officials accountable at the place where they're closest to us more than anywhere else, and that it's at the city, local, and state level. Isn't that right, Dennis? Yeah, but I'd add, don't just go vote. Do some research first, you know, because <laughs> these yeah. answers aren't easy. And uh, you definitely want to go talk to the people because there's nothing that um, will tell you more about somebody than it, talking to them personally. You're absolutely right. I've talked to that hundreds of thousands of people uh, personally, myself in politics, and uh, there's nothing better than giving your message and answering questions from folks uh, that are and should be skeptical of anybody that runs for office. Well, Dennis, how can folks find you so they can come and support your work as an author uh, and, and get in touch with you to ask you questions? <laughs> Manus.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, actually, um, I have a, a domain name that's pretty easy to remember. It's called libertyreads.com. Well, there you have it, folks, libertyreads.com. Uh, with this man who, who is, uh, is, has expertise across a broad spectrum of uh, knowledge and intellectual capacity, and especially on our American Republic. Uh, thanks very much for joining us today, Dennis. Well, thank you, Rob, and uh, stay safe. Mammoth Nation is the discount club for conservatives. You get great discounts on name brand products and services, and the proceeds help candidates who support the right causes. Plus, the money you save from just one purchase can pay for your entire membership. Liberal Democrats are destroying America, and we can't let Joe Biden be president. It's time to join the fight. Strength in numbers. We give the silent majority a resounding voice. Go to mammothnation.com and let's win this fight together. I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Ha for joining us today. And uh, I hope that his experienced words help all of my friends and supporters and viewers and anybody else that comes across this episode of The Rob Manus Show to understand what's really happening on the ground today and that it is about Marxism and communism in the future of this country, and it is opposed to the Democratic Republic that most Americans still hold dear. Until next week, I'll see you on The Rob Manning.